Welcome to the UGA BCM podcast, the ministry of the BCM at the University of Georgia. To find out more about us, follow us on Instagram at UGA BCM. Be sure to hang around to the end of the episode for a special interview with myself and Tommy. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Last week, I had 10 points of an introduction, plus 10 points of uh, setting the stage for what we were doing, and 10 points in the sermon. I got through 30 points in 55 minutes on the dot. That's impressive, all right? And here's why. Somebody started to clap. It was terrible, actually. Now, I mean, I don't want to say it was terrible. I don't know if it was terrible or not. That's not for me to say. But what I will say is that was a long time. And so I apologize to you for that. However, we got all that out of the way. And so tonight, guess how many points I got? I got four. And they all start with the same letter so you can remember them. You got it? Because this is the Baptist collegiate ministry, right? All right. And so that's what we're doing tonight. Hey, last week we talked about what creation tells us about God. And ultimately, we, we finished at this point that God is worthy to be praised. He's worthy to be worshipped because he is creator and we are his creation. Uh, but the thing is, is that our faith is to be lived out in a couple of ways. One is to be lived out in relationship to him, but two is to be lived out in relationship to others. Matter of fact, the great, uh, greatest commandment and the second greatest commandment tell us in Scripture that we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, our soul, and our mind. And then the second of the greatest commandment is, of course, as we know, is to love our neighbor as ourself, right? And, and so ultimately, we're told in Scripture that as we live out our faith that we're to love God and we're to love others. And, and, and so it's interesting to me, and it makes a lot of sense to me then, that when we look at creation, the two big principles that we see being laid out for us in the story of creation is... This, this relationship that God has, or excuse me, these characteristics that God has, and then on top of that, this relationship that God has with humanity or the characteristics that we see from humanity. And so as we study creation today, we're going to simply look at this, this concept that creation matters because what it tells us about humanity. Creation matters because what it tells us about humanity. So as we walk through this, hopefully if you were here last week, uh, then you remember uh, what we talked about, all 10 of those things that we talked about that creation matters or what it tells us about God. And then tonight we're going to see what it tells us about humanity. And this is so important to understand because ultimately at the end of the day, we're to love God and we're to love others. So there is two sides to our faith that are played out at the same time. And one of those is in relationship to God and the other is in relationship to, to, to others. And if we're going to do that well, we now know based on last week, who God is and, and what God has done. And so today we're going to see how it is that we should view not just ourselves, but also others. So I want to begin reading tonight, if I can, in Genesis chapter 1. I want to read verse 26 through verse 31, and we'll start there. The Bible says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on earth. Then God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of all the earth, and every tree which has fruit yielding seed. It shall be food for you, and to every beast of the earth, and every bird of the sky, and to everything that moves on the earth which has life. I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. I want us to stop there, if we can, for just a second. 
Because the first thing I want you to see tonight is, is that what creation tells us about humanity, first of all, is that man or humanity is made in God's image. Man or humanity, well, I use the phrase man here, I'm speaking of mankind, of humanity. Humanity is made in God's image. It's this theological concept of the Imago Dei. Now, what you've got to ask yourself is this. We use the phrase all the time that, that we're created in the image of God, that we're created in God's image. But you've got to go back to Scripture and ask yourself, what does that actually mean? What does it mean to be created in God's image? I've heard people say, oh, it means you have a soul. I've heard people say, oh, it means that you can reason. I've heard all these ideas. But the thing is, is that a lot of the ways that we describe being made in God's image is sort of extra scriptural. All right, it's not really directly taken from the context of scripture here. And so let's see what the scripture says about being made in God's image. Well, the first thing that we see about being made in God's image, if you read verse 26, is this. It says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And then notice what it says here. Let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And then notice this. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them and blessed them. Uh, and then notice what it says again. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and roll over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over, over every living creature that moves on the earth. Now, if you were to flip over here to Genesis chapter 5, verse 1, we read another thing about that tells us, another scripture that tells us about being made in God's image. And here it says this in chapter 5, verse 1. This is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day when God created man, check this out, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them, male and female. He blessed them and named them man in the day that they were created. So here we have two passages of Scripture in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 5 that tell us that we are made in God's image. So what does it mean to be made in God's image? Well, first of all, I submit to you tonight that to be made in God's image means that we have the ability to have dominion and rule. We have the ability to have dominion and rule. He says there that, that let us uh, create man in our image and let him rule over. Did you notice that? Let him rule over. That's what it kept saying over and over again. Let him rule over and it lists all the things that are there. And so within God's creation, within God's creation, and this is not always the, the easiest of concepts for people to understand. Some people don't like this very much. But within God's creation, the reality is, is that there is something that differentiates the human from the rest of his creation. You got that? There is something that differentiates the human from the rest of his creation. And the truth of the matter is, is what differentiates that is the fact that God has placed the human, us, me and you, in a position of dominion over the rest of creation. Now somebody's going to be like, well, I know that's right because I like to go fish and I like to go hunt and you better believe it, I got dominion over all of creation, right? Amen? Amen. That's right. Okay? But let me tell you, there's another side to this as well. Okay, this doesn't mean that this means, because <laughs> some people take this in the direction, right? That's right, I'm the boss, I got dominion. If I don't like the dog, I can kick it as far as I want to. Y'all know what I'm saying, right? That's not what this actually means. Because what we find is, is that man, Adam in particular, is instructed that he is to care for creation. That he is to care for creation. Because if you're going to have dominion or rule over creation, then you are to care for creation. So in a sense of the word, we need to understand that ultimately we have a responsibility not just to care for creation, but also to work within creation, right? 
And so here's Adam. He gets to name things. Clearly, he's got dominion in that sense. He's got rule in that sense. But ultimately, that also means that he's got to take care of the, the ground. He's got to take care of the plants. He's got to care for the animals. He's got to care for creation. In other words, being created in the image of God means not only that we have the right to rule, but it also means with that right to rule, there comes great responsibility. Kind of like Spider-Man, right? There comes great responsibility. So, to be made in God's image means that we have dominion and we have the ability to rule. But the second thing about being made in God's image is that it means that we have the right to multiply. It means that we have the right to multiply. Now, I don't need to define what that means, right? We're all grown-ups here. We're all adults, all right? And so reality, though, is this, is that God, we see in uh, chapter 1, but also in chapter 5, gives us the ability to multiply. And one of the ways we know that, again, when you read Scripture and you interpret it, you got to interpret it in context. The same word uh, that says likeness in chapter 5, verse 1, is the same word that says image in chapter 1, verse 26. And what's interesting is this, is that same word in chapter 5, verse 1, that says likeness also references Adam having his children. And so what we see then is that there's something unique about the fact that we, when created, at creation, were God's children. We were God's children. Now somebody's going to say, whoa, hold on, Tommy. Hold on, Tommy. Only those that have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ are part of God's family. Well, you're right. You're right. But remember, we haven't gotten to chapter 3 yet where corruption takes place, okay? And so originally we see that we are God's children. Matter of fact, it is the fall of chapter 3 that messes this all up, which is why if you turn to Paul's letter, so many times he references adoption as an example of redemption in our lives. So here we are, originally God's children when Adam was created. You got that? But yet we have the fall in chapter 3. So now it takes an act of God in our lives through Jesus Christ and through the working of the Holy Spirit so that we can then be adopted back into the family of God. But yet being created in His image to begin with tells us that ultimately that's where it started and really that's where He desires for you to belong. So when we say we're creating the image of God, it means we have the ability to rule, we have dominion, and also ultimately we have the ability to create. Now think about this for just a second. Uh, again, this doesn't make us little gods, but we do see this ability to create and recreate even in the way that we function and how advanced our society has become, right? We're constantly creating and recreating things over and over again, right? And so in some ways you see this play out not just in having children, but you also see this play out in, in, in the fact that we have the ability to make and do things. And so here we see that we are made in God's image. Now that's powerful. When you think about the fact that you are made in God's image. Because you talk about if you've ever been in a place where you didn't feel like you had a lot of worth. You ever been in a place where you're just stressed and anxious and depressed about what's going on in your life. When you can go back to the fact that God created man in his image. Whew, that brings some power, doesn't it? To know that God created me. That God created you. In his image. And somebody said, well, he created Adam in his image. No, because what we see is, is that, yes, he created Adam in his image in chapter 5, verse 1, chapter 1, verse 26. But chapter 5, verse 3, we're reminded the same word is used in referencing Adam and his children. So we are made in the image of God. Not only is man made in God's image, but the second thing we see about humanity is that man is made with an identity. That man is made with an identity. Look at what verse 27 says of chapter 1. This is important. 
God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, I want to flip over, if I can, to chapter 2. And I want to begin reading in chapter 2, particularly in verse 18. Because in verse 18, this is where... Well, actually, we'll start in verse 15. In verse 15, it says, Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. Now, he's, he's made Adam up in, uh, chapters, or in verse 7. Uh, and there it talks about the Lord formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the, the breath of life, and man became a living being. So that's important. And then we see in chapter or verse 15, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to cultivate and to keep it. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. And check this out in verse 18. This is important. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. And then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, Now this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Y'all know I'm taking a deep breath there, right? Because we were created with an identity. Last week I was worried about saying something that would come across as a heresy. This week I want you to hear everything I'm about to say on this point, and I want you to hear my heart. Okay? I want you to hear my heart when I say this. We live in a world and we live in a culture that tells us that we can define who we are. And that's a lie from Satan. Because our identity is found in Christ. And as much as it may be tough, and as much as it may be against the culture, the things you hear in school, the situations you have in your family, amongst friends, the truth remains that if it wasn't important that God created us male and female, it wouldn't be right here in Scripture. You hear me? Remember last week I talked about the fact, actually, yeah, I did. I talked about the fact that, that, that there's not dualism, that God created that which was physical. Remember that? Y'all remember that if you were here last week? Um, here we find that our identity is physical in nature. How do we know that? Well, chapter 2, verse 7 tells us the Lord formed man of the dust of the ground and then breathed life into his nostrils, the breath of life, and man became a living being. We see in verse 21 through verse 23 that when God created woman, he took a rib and closed up the flesh at that place. And so we see that what's interesting about what God did with creation is this, is that God speaks creation into being. Do you hear that? He speaks creation into being over and over and over and over again. And then when it comes to man, what does he do? He takes the dust of the ground 
that which is physical, and he forms man. And he takes the rib from man, that which is physical, and he forms woman. So the reality is this, is that what creation tells us is that we are created male and female, and that is a physical trait. It's a physical trait. There's no other way to get around it. Doesn't matter how it makes us feel. By the way, part of what happens in our culture and our world today is, is we, we begin to, to chase and function in a way that follows how we feel. We find ourselves in a mess anyway, don't we? Right? Because I can justify sin because the way in that moment it makes me feel, can I? Right? And if I follow the way I feel, life is tough. And so we have these ups and we have these downs. And think about your salvation. Sometimes you feel saved and sometimes you feel like you don't deserve it because we really don't deserve it, right? And sometimes we feel saved and sometimes we feel like we're not. But our salvation is not based upon the way we feel, right? And so when we look at creation, we can't help but to understand that the identity that God gives us is a physical identity and that the identity that God gives us is wrapped up right here in the text in the fact that he created us male and female. Now what's important is also this, is that when we look at this idea of identity, it goes beyond just the physical and it also goes to the roles that God created for us. Because what we see here is that God gave Adam some very specific roles and then Adam clearly needed a helper. And God gave Adam a helper, right? What we see here in, in, in the end of chapter 2, it says, For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Did y'all know that marriage was ordained from the point of creation? Did y'all know that? I want to say that again. Marriage was ordained from the point of creation. Did y'all know marriage historically throughout our world has been a religious thing? Did y'all know that? It has been. Historically, it's been a religious thing. You know when, you know when it became a legal thing? When it became a legal contract? Because divorce was rampant and they didn't know how to manage it. And so guess what happened? The courts took it over. Because of our fallenness. Because the corruption in which that we live in in a sinful, broken world. But marriage and that role that's laid out for the husband and the wife has been about since creation. That's not some male chauvinistic statement. That's just simply that it's there. Not to mention the fact when you read this for what it was, I mean, goodness gracious, woman's in a pretty unbelievable place. Because it pretty much says, Adam couldn't do without her. I'm married almost for 20 years now. I understand that. I get it. Right? I mean, do y'all realize? I want to say this so I don't sound like a creep, okay? Got it? Do y'all realize, verse 23, the man said, this is when he sees woman. 
This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. That is the first hymn of praise that we see in Scripture. That's how happy Adam was to see Eve. Right there. You see what I'm saying? So in other words, the point is this. Is that if men would start acting more like Adam did when he saw Eve, we'd probably be better off to begin with in our relationships with husbands and wives. You get what I'm saying? Right? And the other thing is this. We know from the fall in chapter 3 that all of this gets corrupted. And we know in the fall in chapter 3, like God has said, check this out, chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden. So remember, God has told Adam, You can't eat of this tree, right? Remember that? Okay? Now, let me ask you a question. Based on what we read in the New Testament. By the way, y'all realize that when you interpret Scripture, you have to interpret it through the lens of what's there immediately, through the lens of what's there a little broader, through the book, through that testament it's written in, right? And then you interpret it through the entirety of Scripture. In the New Testament, we know that Paul talks about, right, the fact that there is a role for husband and wife. We know that? Everybody agree with that? Right? And he says that the spiritual leader is supposed to be the who? The man. That's what he said. That is a massive responsibility. It doesn't mean man runs around telling the wife what to do all the time. That's stupid. By the way, if you think that's what it means... Guys, when you get married, you try that for a little while and come back and tell me how it goes. You'll feel like Adam did when he was alone. Okay? Did y'all catch that? Was that good? What's the point? It's interesting here. This isn't some statement about the weakness of Eve. And the serpent, it says, basically... Tricking her, the woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. Then it says this, The serpent said to the woman, You will surely not die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was delightful to the eyes, that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. And she gave also to her husband with her and he ate. And the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed big leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. We see right here in the fall that Adam is not doing the job and fulfilling the role that God has called him to do and fulfill. It says he was with his wife. Do you see that? All he had to do was say, honey, remember God did tell us that. Check, spiritual leader. You see what I'm saying? And he doesn't. He doesn't. Theologians have argued over what was the first sin. Was it Adam taking the fruit or was it, was it uh, excuse me, Eve taking the fruit or was it Adam not fulfilling his responsibility as husband? That's an argument that you could have fun spinning around in circles over, okay? But the point is this, is that part of our identity is not just wrapped up in physically that God created us male and female, but it's also wrapped up in the roles that he gave us. By the way, do you know why this is so important? Because you, you know the one relationship that God uses to explain the relationship between Christ and the church? It's the relationship between the husband and the wife. 
Do you know that one day when you fall in love and one day when you get married, that is a sacred vow. And here's why it's a sacred vow. Because you are committing, if you are a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ, in that moment you are committing to live out the rest of your life as a testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ in your relationship with your husband or your wife. Boy, that's kind of scary, isn't it? Whew. Clients not, be, not to be entered into lightly. Y'all ever heard that said at a, at a wedding? I almost said a funeral. That'd been bad, right? At a wedding? <laughs> Tell my wife she can't listen to this podcast when we're done. Right, that's why. Because you're, you're to live it out. You're to live it out. Now listen, I want you to understand this. There is nothing that culture can say or do to change what creation tells us about where we find our identity. There's nothing. There's nothing. I have a friend of mine out of Texas. His name's Ricky Shillette. And I've heard Ricky talk about this with those who struggle with this particular issue of identity. He says a couple of things. He says, one, he says, you think about sin and sin that grabs captive and takes hold of us and begins to control us, right? We will identify those people with their sin. We'll say someone that lies all the time is a what? A liar, right? We'll say that someone that drinks all the time is a what? alcoholic right do you see what i'm saying we could pick all these different things and boom there we go but for some reason what's happened is is we've taken this one particular sin this one particular issue when it comes to our identity as humans as male and female and our sexual identity and all that comes with that and what we've done is is we've said you know what we're going to make that different than anything else because what we're going to do is is we're going to say well it's okay to identify in that way it's what we've done. It's what our culture has done. It's what, it's what it's allowed us to do. And here's the problem. The problem is this. The problem is not over whether someone has a certain type of sexual attraction. The problem is not over whether someone is struggling with, with an issue in their life in relation to how they may feel about male, female, etc. The problem is this. The problem is, is that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are called to identify with one and one alone, and that is Jesus. You see what I'm saying? That's the problem. It's not that people are running around screaming hateful things. I know there's some jerks out there that do, and shame on them. But it's because here's what God's word says. And the most loving thing to do is say, Here's what God's word says. Because remember, we just sang how he loves us. He died for us. He rose three days later for you and for me so that we could be redeemed because of how bad we messed it up in chapter 3. So man is made in God's image. Man is made with an identity. I told you I only got four, so we're going to actually get through this. This is a miracle. Man is made with intellect. Adam names creation. By the way, let me, let me stop for just a second before we jump into that. Adam names creation, obviously smart enough to be like, hey, that's a dog, right? <laughs> You're supposed to laugh. It's a cow. I don't know, right? I don't know what that word in his language was, but we call it a dog and cow today, right? Okay, but he named them. That's pretty cool, right? That's pretty neat. But before we jump into that, I want to say this about our identity. You realize that Adam was a historical figure, right? Matter of fact, you can't be a believer in Jesus Christ if you don't believe that. 
That's, that's a real strong line in the sand I knew that I just drew. But let me tell you why. Because Luke tells us, guess what? In chapter 3, verse 23 through 38, Luke tells us the lineage of Jesus. And guess who he starts with? Guess who? Adam. So either Luke is lying about Jesus, which means Jesus can't be your Lord and Savior, okay? Or Adam was a historical figure. Don't ask me the time frame. Don't ask me all that. We covered all that last week, right? I don't know, all right? But what I am telling you is this. There was a real man named Adam, okay? We know that because the gospel tells us that. So Adam apparently had an intellect. He named creation. Matter of fact, let me tell you this. That's one of the first places we see this, like this kind of organization of animals and all this kind of stuff. God allows Adam to do that. But then we also know, even when you turn, I just read the fall in chapter 3. In chapter 3, we see that having an intellect, in chapter 3, verse 1 through verse 13, we get a sneak peek into their ability to reason. By the way, last week, we talked a lot about the sovereignty of God, if you didn't realize that. Did y'all catch that last week? I mean, man, you talk about God being sovereign. But do you know what? Chapter 3 explains to us the free will of man. Now, don't ask me how they're both there, but they are. And if you argue against either one, you're right on the verge of being a heretic. Okay? Or you might just be. So, sovereignty of God, free will and responsibility of man are both there. One does not negate the other. If you try to say that it does then we got a problem with the entire creation story. It's right there. And we know that what we find is that our ability to reason, our ability to have intellect, our ability to think for ourselves, our ability to make decisions is what got them in trouble, really. And you think about today. Part of the reason we're in the mess we're in is because what we've done instead of following God's word is we followed our own reason, our own intellects, our own minds, our own emotions, Right? And we got ourselves in a mess the same way that we see Adam and Eve did. The same way we see Adam and Eve did. We even see their response to sin. We see their ability to reason, even their response to sin. What do they do? They make clothes, right? They go hide, right? They're like, ooh, I did something wrong. They go hide. And, and so we see that God has made us with an intellect, with the ability to reason. I joked earlier today to some students. I said, it's funny, you know. I said, a woman shows up on the picture, and all of a sudden, man can't figure out how to reason. Y'all are supposed to laugh at that. Some of you guys are like that. Don't act like you're not. You know you are. Some pretty lady walks in the room, and the next thing you know, you're saying stupid stuff and doing stupid things. It's true, isn't it? Some of y'all are nodding. Ben, am I telling the truth? You better say yes. Yeah, his girlfriend's sitting by there beside him. He better say yes, right? Boy, I thought I was going to get more laughs, didn't you? I even, yeah, whatever, moving on. Y'all are terrible. All right. <laughs> Boy. Finally. Finally, man is made with a desire for intimacy. Man is made with a desire for intimacy. Chapter 2, verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. 
Verse 24 through 25, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Notice, uh, here this plays out in the relationship between a husband and wife. But guys, God has created all of us with a whole in our hearts for not just him, but also for others. Our relationship with him is not to be played out by itself. Our relationship with him is to be played out in relation to others. Now we see this here play out in marriage. Marriage was defined as part of the creation story. Marriage is used in the New Testament as a symbol of the relationship between Christ and the church. And our faith and relationship with God is made to be carried out with others, but not just only in marriage. Matter of fact, we see in verse 20 that God puts all these animals before Adam and none of them seem to meet the need, right? None of them do. I had a professor in seminary say that it's very obvious from the very beginning of time that man and their dog was going to have a great relationship because before God made woman, that's all Adam had, you know, was his dog, I don't know. You hear some crazy things at seminary. That's all I'll tell you. All right. That one y'all laughed at. Good. But it wasn't my joke. It was somebody else's. Some of you are going to be like, but Tommy, I, I, I don't have like someone in my life right now that I could see myself marrying. Or what if I end up single? Well, Paul says there's a gift of singleness, right? He says that. But I, but I got to be honest with you, even if you are called to be single, you've got to understand that ultimately you need relationships with others. You need companionship. You need community. It's why dog packs are so important. It's why your church small groups are so important. It's why D groups are so important. It's why all those things are so important because you need community with others. And you know, really, when you look at the fall, what you realize is that the fall separated us. When you look at Adam and Eve's sin and you look at everything that takes place after that, right? Like, like God sees them and he's like, hey, why are you hiding from me? Who told you you were naked? Remember all that story, right? And then God's like, hey, I'm kicking you out of the garden. And, and he tells them, he says, hey, there's going to be pain in childbirth. He tells them that there's going to be conflict between husband and wife. He tells them, ultimately, that there's going to be death. You're going to return to dust. Right? That's what God tells them. You go read chapter 3. We don't have time to read it, but you go read it, and that's what you see. And here's what I want you to see tonight as we kind of close this out. What the fall does is this. It does three things. Number one, it breaks our intimacy and relationship with God. It breaks our intimacy and relationship with God. It puts us in a place where if we were to die, we would be eternally separated from God. Right? Eternal separation. But not only that, but it breaks our relationship and intimacy with other humans. That's why we see that phrase. People have read into chapter 3, verse 16, where it talks about the, the woman desiring to rule over her husband. Like, you got to understand Really, all that is is telling us that this way that God originally set it up was now broken. 
and that there was going to be conflict. Do you see that? Between man and... So we see this image. Check this out. This is nuts. First time I saw this drone somewhere, I was like, man, this is crazy. I was like, all right, seminary's worth the money. All right? I saw, look, we got this image where, okay, here's creation. Here's man at the top of creation. That's how God created us. You got it? Humanity and all of creation. And what happens at the fall is this. God says, guess what? Creation's going to fight back. You're going to sweat. You're going to toil. You're going to have to fight hard to eat. Right? And then check this out. Until, until, hold on, we're getting there. You return to dust. See, here's what God does. God takes man out of dust. God puts man on top of dust. Man blows it. And guess where man ends up? When we die, back is dust. See how we blew the relationship with God? Now there is hope. That sounds terrible, by the way, that part does, doesn't it? But there is hope. You know why there is hope? Because Jesus Christ hung on a cross between heaven and hell to be the sacrifice for your sin and for my sin. And guess what? He was took from the cross and put in a grave. See where we're going with this? But yet, what did he do? He rose from the grave, right? And guess what? The Bible promises us that if we put our faith and trust in him and repent and turn from our sin, the Bible says this, guess what? We too will rise from the grave. We will have everlasting life. Now, you and I are not eternal because we had a beginning, right? Adam was created out of the dust. He had a beginning. You and I were born. We had a beginning. But we are everlasting. We are. Either in heaven or in hell. So the question becomes tonight this. What will you do with everything we've talked about? God deserves our praise. He deserves our honor. He deserves our glory. He deserves our worship. He deserves to be Lord of our life. And man, it was set up great and we blew it. But guess what? It doesn't have to stay that way. Because Jesus Christ died for us and he rose three days later. And so therefore, one day, Revelation says, guess what? It's not just a spiritual redemption where you're floating up into heavens with him as a spirit. No, no, no. Revelation says one day, all of creation will be restored. All of creation will be redeemed. And the Bible says there will be a new heaven and a new earth. The Bible says that every dead in Christ will rise. You hear that? You say, well, what if somebody's cremated? Well, guess what? They made Adam from the dust, so I think he can take care of that again. Right? So my question to you tonight is, what do we do with that? Well, number one, I want to challenge you to have the right view about humanity. I know you live in a world and in a culture where it's hard to have that. And sometimes just having the right view about humanity, you get looked down upon. But I want to challenge you, stay with God's word and what it says. And number two, I want to challenge you this. If you're here and the Holy Spirit is working within your heart right now and he's convicting you of your sin and the fact that you know that you're broken and the fact that you know because Adam sinned, guess what? You're going to sin too. And you're going to be guilty of that sin the same way that Adam was guilty of that sin. And guess what? That means that we're going to die. But you recognize that Jesus died for you and he rose three days later. And tonight you're wanting to repent and to call out and ask him to forgive you. The Bible tells us that if you call upon the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. 
And this could be a starting point in your life for a process of sanctification that will change you throughout your life until the point of glorification where you will be with the Father in heaven. That's pretty good, ain't it? So what I want to do is I want to pray for us tonight. If you're in here and you need to call out to Christ and repent of your sin and turn from your sin and ask Him to be your Lord and Savior and make that commitment today to follow Him, I want to challenge you to do that. You can pray right where they're at and you can call out to Him and He'll save you. Secondly, I want to tell you this. If maybe you want to talk to us about that, you've got those cards on your seat, you can write that down on the back and we'll, we'll get with you. And if tonight that you, you, you make a decision to follow Christ as your Lord and Savior, we want you to tell us that as well. So let me pray for us. We're going to sing again. If you need to talk to myself or to one of our campus missionaries, please do that. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you tonight for your word. Thank you tonight for what it tells us about the gospel and the fact that, yes, we are broken, sinful, fallen people. And that every single one of us, Lord, are going to mess up at some point in our life and we are guilty. But Lord, thank you that there is hope through you. So Lord, help us tonight to see humanity through your eyes. Not through the eyes of the world, but through the eyes of you and through your word. And help us tonight, Lord, to see that there is one way to salvation. That is only through what you have done for us on the cross of Calvary. So Lord, we love you. We praise you. Bless us as we sing. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and sing one more time tonight. Well, hey there, everybody. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. We are so excited for this special, we call it a, a post-game interview. Uh, I am Zach Ellington, joined here with campus minister Tommy Fountain. And man, Tommy, what an amazing night last night at Gatherings, our second one of uh, the fall semester and people are getting saved, man. God is changing lives. Uh, it's such an exciting environment to be in. Another full house. What were what were your thoughts from last night? Yeah, um, you know, we had a, a student tell us that they had uh, made a decision to follow Christ in, in the first week, and then this this week, uh, I had the opportunity to pray with someone after the service uh, who gave their heart and life to Jesus and had uh, another student uh, tell us that that was a decision that they had made uh, last night as well. And then two other students we'll be following up with this week who are wanting to follow through in baptism. And so, yeah, great night. That's awesome. Now, so I guess we'll just jump straight into it today because last night's message was full um, of all sorts of really hard truths, very biblical truths, um, but things that can be really difficult to wrestle with. Um, I guess let's start off just right off the bat and talking about identity roles. Um, talked a lot about it last night. Can you talk a little bit more about the difference in people's spiritual and physical identities? Yeah, so I, th I think a couple of things you got to understand here, and that is one, for everyone that's a believer in Jesus Christ, it's a follower of Jesus, um, we have to identify with Christ uh, before we identify with anything we do, before we identify with the sin in our life. Uh, the ultimate calling on our life is to identify with Christ. That That's what defines us as a Christian, as a believer in Jesus Christ. And so I think that's important to know. Um, the other thing I'd say is, is, you know, we talked a lot last night about um, our physical identities. And at creation, you see that God made us male and female, uh, and he did so physically. And so uh, it, it's important to recognize that um that there are distinct differences, mm. um, but those differences, not just in us physically, but also in the roles um, that that we have, um, that those those differences play out in such a way 
that we are still equal in value. Yeah. Um, and so what I mean by that is, is um, if you look at Genesis, you see that Eve was made to be the helper uh, for Adam. If you look in Ephesians chapter 5, uh, you see that um, it says there that, that you get this image of, of wives submitting to their husbands, um, but yet also you get the image of husbands loving their wives as Christ loved the church. And so our culture, if we're not careful, what we do is we take that image of roles and we go, oh man, well, well, the husband must be over the wife per se. And, and so we get this, you know, accused of being male chauvinistic and all these different things. But in reality, if you look at the structure that's set up there, um, number one, um, to love your wife as Christ loved the church very clearly means that you would be willing to die for your wife. Right. Right. So it's, it's a sacrificial place. The other thing, too, is, is that when it comes to roles, uh, one of the greatest examples we have of someone that has different roles but yet is equal in value is the Trinity. Hmm. God the Father, God the Son, God the, God the Holy Spirit have different roles as part of the Trinity, but yet they're of equal value being all part of the same Godhead. And so I, I think that's important to recognize when it comes to this idea of, of gender roles is that, yes, we are different physically, um, but not only that, um, but we do have different roles. And ultimately, those roles don't make us of any um, lesser value. It's just the way that God set it up. And yeah. practically, we, we all understand how that works. Um, when you're uh, a part of a team, uh, somebody's got to be the captain. Somebody's got to be the coach. Somebody's got to be in a position of, of leadership. Uh, a business uh, you know, has, has somebody at the top, right? And so... Um, that doesn't mean that that someone else is any of less value to that business or that organization. But what it means is, is that with that comes a much more significant responsibility. Right. Uh, and that's that's really kind of a humbling place to be when you think about it. Yeah, absolutely. You're, that's very right. Uh, you referenced last night the first hymn of praise uh, being found in Genesis 2.23 where uh, – Adam is responding to this woman that God has put before him. And um, can, you, can you talk a little bit more about what specifically made that a hymn of praise? Uh, yeah, part of it is the structure. And maybe if we just want to read the verse. So yeah, so, so Genesis uh, chapter 22 says, And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And then the man said, so so this is, this is man responding to what God's done, which mm. is what, praise is right praise and adoration we're responding to what god has done and who god is and so he says then the man said this at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man and so the structure of that the way that it's set apart in scripture um tells us i mean that it that is a hymn and its structure um but again also just the fact that it was it was in response to what god had done in creating woman and and that's interesting because when you look at, and I mentioned this last night, um, we don't see Adam, you know, Adam's told to name all the animals. We don't see Adam taking a moment to, to have a, a little monologue about right. the animals, right. right? Or about the clouds in the sky or about the stars at night. But we do see that when it comes to Eve. And so, uh, one, I think that tells us how desperate, uh, not desperate, but how desperately um, Adam needed a helper. Mm. Um, and two, even in the midst of um, Adam having all this amazing stuff around him that God had provided for him, um, just this reality of, you know, 
I didn't know what a woman was, but goodness yeah. gracious, now <laughs> I do, and thank you, God. Right, yeah. right. Almost this, it, the introduction of this this woman, this helper, this best friend is so much greater than the animal, so much better than the rest of creation that it just naturally inspired this yeah. praise almost. 100%, 100%. So, and, and again, I think that plays into even the question that you asked about roles and gender roles. If anybody ever thinks that, that the Bible and Scripture presents this, you know, masculine view of history or this, this you know, machismo, chauvinistic view of history, uh, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. Mm. I mean, because you see here in the creation story just how thrilled Adam is with the creation of woman. And then you see throughout Scripture how that man is called to be willing to die for a woman. And so I I would say that's the opposite of sometimes what gets thrown at us from a culture standpoint. Yeah, absolutely. So moving on, because we do have a lot to to bring in, a breakdown here in this podcast. Um, You spent some time last night talking about marriage, uh, just kind of dovetailing off that question. You spoke about how marriage was a representation of the gospel. Uh, For somebody who's not necessarily familiar with that line of thought, could you speak a little bit more about that? Yeah, so uh, within uh, the structure of society, um, we see that God ordained marriage. We see that in creation, but we see also that God ordained the church. So we see in the beginning of the Old Testament, we see God ordaining marriage, and we see in the beginning of the New Testament, God ordaining the church. And then we see when you turn to Ephesians chapter 5, I'll just read this. It says in verse 22, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself his Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also I should submit in everything to their husbands. But then it says this in verse 25, because we get caught up on verse 24, and we're like, oh my goodness. But verse 25 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, uh, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. So, And then he goes further. Verse 29 is crazy. He says, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. And so when you see Paul writing in Ephesians about the marriage uh, of a husband and a wife, you see Paul referencing the fact that there is a parallel between the way the relationship between the husband and wife should work and the relationship between the church and Christ. And so right. that's why I said last night, when you understand what Paul says and you understand the 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 the, the vision that we're given in Genesis of, of husband and wife coming together in marriage, it begins to make sense that, oh, wow, what God is doing here is, is he's explaining to us this is this ordained relationship that God has placed on earth, and he uses the example of it to reference Christ and the church. Mm. And that's powerful. Right. That's powerful. Right. Now, you see two things right there as well, and this is not in our our question list. I'm just curious. Most of the students downstairs are not married, um, so they're not in a spot where they can practically live out um, loving their wives as Christ loves the church. What are some things uh, guys can do and girls can do as they are uh, in this season of being single or dating somebody? How can they uh, biblically apply this passage? Well, I think it's, it's, it's really pretty simple. It's you prepare yourself to be the husband or the wife that God has called you to be, and you do that on the front end. 
Um, so in other words, um, so many times what we do is particularly during this stage of life is um, it's almost like we're, you know, bringing people in for, I mean, this sounds almost crude, but for tryouts, you know, like, mm-hmm. uh, well, will this, will this one work? Well, will this one work? Will right. this one work? And the reality is, is, is you shouldn't even enter into this idea of, because number one, if you're dating at this point, you should be dating to marry. Like mm-hmm. this isn't just, I'm a 16 year old and don't have anything to do for the weekend. So I'm going to ask this pretty girl or this handsome guy to go to the movies with me. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, if you're dating someone right now, there's a real good chance that you're gonna gonna potentially marry them, and so as a result of that, you shouldn't even start entering into those relationships until you are where you need to be in your relationship with Christ, mm. because you can't be the husband that you're called to be or the wife you're called to be until you personally are where you need to be in your relationship with Christ. Right, absolutely. So moving on, one last question before we get to the end. Uh, based on what you said last night about the fall uh, as a as Genesis 3 kind of messing everything up and all of creation, God's perfect plan unwoven, does that mean Jesus was God's plan B? No, it does not. And that's a great question because, I mean, I've heard people say that. You know, it was like God had this perfect creation, man messed it up, and then boom, now Jesus was God's plan B. Number one, that puts way too much um, emphasis upon man, hmm. right? And, and, it, and it negates the sovereignty of God. Um, and I'm not, when I say that, negating in any way, shape, form, or fashion human responsibility or the free will of man, but they're both in Scripture. And so what that means is is that, uh, yes, Adam and Eve had free will to choose, but ultimately we know through God's sovereignty, and you can tell this by looking at, at not just Genesis but Revelation, mm-hmm. really what's set up here is the bookends of salvation history is what's really being set up for us. So God had a plan. He created this perfect garden. He created Adam and Eve, right? And then there's the fall of humanity. And then ultimately what we have is, is that they're cast out, but then Christ comes and then Christ through his death, burial and resurrection gives us the ability to overcome the world, Mm -hmm. the ability to be redeemed. And then we'll see in Genesis ultimately that God will redeem not just our spirits, but also our bodies and everything of creation when he creates a new heaven and new earth. So the emphasis is not on, oh man, man messed it up, so Jesus was plan B, but the emphasis is on the fact that God had a plan all along in his creation, and ultimately, at the end, we see that fully redeemed. So it's the bookends of the story. It's not a plan B. Love that. Love how just what what great imagery that was. Um, So one more question. We are out of time, but there's a big game coming up this weekend. The uh, season opener, Georgia Bulldogs versus the Oregon Ducks. What is your score prediction? Man, I'll tell you what. Um, normally those those openers uh, can be a little unexpected, uh, but but I, I truly believe, despite Georgia having to uh, sort of rebuild that defense, mm. um, that uh, I think uh, the offense is going to show out a little bit. Um, and uh, I was thinking 34-17. Uh, I think I think forty one seventeen. I think the offense is going to get it done. Uh, defense may have a few hiccups early, just because a lot of a lot of new faces out there. But but I say Georgia forty one seventeen. Okay, I'm going to take Georgia forty five. Oregon, I uh, will go thirteen. Okay, just we'll get those those field goals in there. <laughs> but <laughs> well, thank you everybody for listening to the UGA BCM podcast. If you are around Athens, come check us out Monday nights, eight o'clock on our, our building at 450 South Lumpkin Street. We are 
right on campus is a really convenient location and we check out our instagram at ugabcm we're doing tons of fun events coming up and everything from a uh, 5k down in jacksonville florida for the game to there's a big conference coming up in september called confluence we'd love to see you at so come check us out we look forward to seeing you soon we'll see y'all next week